Hello, and welcome into another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. It is the January 11th, the playoff edition of the podcast. And I'm joined today by not only Christian Amesworth, but we also have another Arrowhead Live contributor. Caleb James is joining us for the podcast. Caleb, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm looking forward to a good show. Absolutely. You might already follow Caleb on Twitter. He does some excellent film breakdowns, whether he's posted them on his timeline. He writes for our head live as well. And then him and Justin do a video slash audio coaches corner where they break down some film. Recommend you follow their work and see all the great stuff Caleb does. It's good to have someone, me and Christian, kind of exist in that analytical or you know analysis space. And Caleb's more of a film guy. So it's good to have you aboard today. Yeah, uh, not not only does he also write, but the whole, the whole film thing as well. There have been multiple times even I have gone to either him or Justin asking about offensive and defensive line film, stuff like that. Really knowledgeable guy. So, again, dude, awesome to have you on here. We've been kind of wanting to do this for a while. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, thanks for the shout-outs. Well, it's a, it's a great weekend or a great week to talk football because we are coming off an excellent three-day football bender. Started Saturday where we got to watch the Chiefs in a kind of ugly game. Um, there was supposedly a game played Saturday night that wasn't much of a game between the Cowboys and the Eagles. And then Sunday featured the best NFL game I've seen in a long time. And then to have the college football championship on Monday, and anytime Alabama loses, it's good. So it, it's been a glorious three days to talk football. But even though this is a pretty Chief-centric podcast, I want to start with what was the best game of the weekend, best game of the year, the Chargers-Raiders game. That game had all sorts of drama in it. it. The thing that was the most interesting about it is, you know, one of the most common things in every game is that one team wants to win and the other team doesn't want to lose. And this game had the drama of that wasn't necessarily true. Um, what were just some of you, what were your guys' experiences watching that game? Were you hoping that they were tying? Were you wanting one team to win? What were you thinking about, Caleb? So for me, when I was watching that game, I was like, this seems just like, yeah, the Raiders are fired up. It's a home game. They got John Madden's family out here. But I'm like, this seems like a no-brainer. The Chargers are going to come out here and take care of business. They have to. I mean, they've talked all season about how they're ready to take this next step as a franchise. And they came out flat. They came out dead in the water. They didn't really show that much life early on. Now, they picked it up as the game went along. But Derek Carr picked a good time to play a clutch performance. And the Raiders took advantage of the Chargers' porous run defense. It's been bad all season. They just don't have the talent on the defensive line outside of Bosa. They don't have the linebackers right now to be able to make an impact in that department. And Josh Jacobs probably had his best game of the season and the biggest game of the season for them. And I mean, it crazy finish to the game. It was insane all around. There were some shocking decisions on both sides, but really, I don't know. The Raiders, they've had so much adversity this year on the field, off the field, just all kinds of stuff. And really, I don't, I don't want to give any credit to like the Raiders organization, but you do have to kind of tip your cap to Derek Carr because he's managed to hold that whole thing together through all the ups and downs of this season that they've had. And, you know, they've made a, they've made the playoffs for the first time in about six years while simultaneously, you know, the chargers who people were calling super bowl contenders at one point, they're out. They're not even making the playoffs right now. So that's, I don't know. It's crazy, isn't it? Oh yeah. Dude. And you brought it up. Those coaching decisions, man, those, those were hard for me to stomach that fourth and two on their own 16. One of the worst calls I've ever seen in any professional sporting event, like if, if you don't get that fourth down or if you don't get that first down, you're just giving them at least three points. And, and when you look at the end of the game, three points was the decision. I mean, if they would have went in, they would have gotten those first three points. Who knows where we would have been? Chargers probably would have won that game. Yeah. And, and you, you went right to it, Christian. And that's, here's the thing. And there's, there's a couple of places I want to go to this. The first thing, and part of the reason why I'm glad we have Caleb on today is because he's played the game to a higher extent than you and I have. He played some college football, but there is this, there's this thing. I don't really know how to explain it, but it's like, it's like politics. You're either pro or anti analytics. And, and I hate that term because I generally consider myself a pro analytics person. You know, I subscribe to PFF. 
I love football outsiders. I think that there's a lot of great numbers that happen out there, but I think Brandon Staley is borderline an idiot. And I don't have to stand by Brandon Staley just because I agree with a lot of the analytics, because there is a difference between people and math. Um, Ben Baldwin, he writes for the athletic. He's like a Seahawks guy. Um, You'll know him as computer cowboy on Twitter, but he talks about, he has this fourth down decision bot and basically it measures EPA and game situation, all this stuff. And basically if the bot says yes to go for it, he thinks you should go for it. And everyone else who doesn't do that's an idiot. And the, I, the irony that they have a robot, like a computer bot that tells them when to do something in football, a game played between men. That's about imposing your will. That's about situation is just, it tells me everything that I need to know about that. And the, and the most frustrating thing is whenever a coach does something like that, like Brandon Staley, and he makes a, a mistake and the team doesn't convert and it instantly gives three points to the other team. They justify it and explain it away by saying, well, well, well it, it was the right decision, just a bad play call. But if it works, they go, oh, well, that was a good play call. It's it's like, uh, you know, it's like a double edged sword. It's a paradox that, that, you know, if it's the bad play call, right play play call, they, they, they make it so they can never be wrong. And when I say they, I mean the people that support that. Mina Kimes, and I, I really like Mina Kimes. She does great stuff for ESPN. But she tweeted out that the Cardinals did something really similar in their game against the Seahawks. And we were talking about in the Slack channel, and Caleb brought this up. The difference is the Seahawks have, or the Cardinals clinched the playoffs already. They were not down three or four points on the road trying to clinch the playoffs. The Cardinals have already clinched. The situation there could not have been more dire. To instantly hand your opponent three points, that has to absolutely drain the players. And I just, man, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a coach make such an impact on a game in a negative way as Brandon Staley had in the game against the Chiefs and this game. I am, I'm not anti-analytics by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not even anti-going for it on fourth down. But it's the situation you find yourself in. Like against the Bengals, there was a couple of plays against the Bengals where the Chiefs had the ball at about midfield or even going into score. And I was like, well, they can't stop. They can't stop Cincinnati right now. They're not really doing the adjustments they need to do to handle Chase. I said, Andy might as well try to go for this. It's like fourth and medium, fourth and five to six. The Chiefs have been unstoppable in that range all day. That was a time when I was like, maybe they should try to go for it there. But like I said, the situation is what dictates the play call a lot of the time. And, you know, like I said, I'm not anti-analytics. I know Justin and I will go back and forth on the analytics side of the game from time to time. But at the end of the day, you know, you still have to make the right decision to put your team in a chance in a position to win the game and going for it on fourth down and one from your own side of the field down three, that tells your defense, you don't have much confidence in them that you're just willing to give up points or gamble because it's all or nothing at that point. But also, man, you got to live with that decision. And people, you know, I mean, Chargers fans, they're delighted with Brandon Staley right now, which, you know, they went, what, nine and eight this year. They're uh, He's a game above 500 for his coaching career. I know it's only his first season, but that's the kind of decision that you can't make when you have an elite rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. Because, you know, we've heard all the time, oh, the Mahomes rookie deal, that's all the Chiefs got going for them. I don't know. They've The Chargers have wasted a couple of years of Herberts there now because their coach wanted to be elite and go for it. And yeah, I understand late in the game, they go for it on fourth down. Why not? Why not go for it at that point? You're down to your last set of plays. You might as well try to get as much as you can and not try to give the ball back. I understand that. I'm fine with that. But, you know, they say it's a bad play call also. Well, he should also get criticism for handing the ball off when his offensive line has been pretty average all season and the Raiders have been stopping the run all night. So, right. I don't know. It. And, Just a, and, I mean, well, here, here's the thing. You want to do something that is going to put fear in the opponent's mind. I If if the decision you make, the opponent is cheering it on and is happy, all of Vic Fangio kicking a field goal down seven, with like four minutes left in the game, giving the ball back to Mahomes, Or, I mean, if I'm a Raiders fan and Brandon Staley's going for it on his own 18-yard line with two yards to go and a playoff game down three, I'm excited. That's a If your opponent is thrilled about the choice you're making, it might not be the right choice. And that's, I mean, I know that that computer cowboy bot doesn't necessarily say that, but I mean, that that means something. And the players think that too. And I mean, that's something else too that stands out to me. 
Brandon Staley, I think he played, he either played quarterback in high school or college or something. So he has some offensive experience, but he was brought in as a defense guy. And he, all these fourth down decisions impact what? The offense. He's a offensive guy who, or he's a defensive guy who is meddling in the offense and trying to make offensive decisions. Meanwhile, his defense sucks. And he's got like an all pro level edge player an all pro level safety. You know, we were just talking about how the linebackers sucked all day. They drafted, they traded up in the draft to get Kenneth Murray. These guys, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like, we're focusing so much on this one decision whenever like Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley just had to beat the Texans and they're going to do it. So I, I don't know, Christian, what well, do you think? Yeah. So I think the problem is even a little bit deeper than that. And I, and I think it's a little bit more complex. Brandon Staley, I think is more of a player's coach. He's more of a player's coach than he is um, like an Eric, I guess an Eric B enemy would, would kind of be a good cop. Like, or a Sean McVay. I think that he's one of those guys that looks at his, his offensive players and he asks them, Justin Herbert, do you think you can get two yards? Well, his answer is going to be yes every single time. And you can bet on your guys, and, and, I, and I'm all for that. But there's got to be somebody that's, you know, a tier above those guys that goes, yeah, but hold on. Listen, you guys got a lot of tenacity, and I love that. And I think the aggression you're showing is great. I think you could probably get two yards too, but it's a terrible strategic decision for us to go for it right here. We have to kick the ball. There, there has to be a grown up in the room that can say, you know what? We, we got to dial it back. We'll get him next time. Live to see another day. We can't give them, we can't afford to give them three points when the game is this tight and, and we need to change the momentum of the game because what they ended up doing was just handing the momentum back they, to, to the Raiders. I mean, they had multiple times in that game where it was like, all right, it's time for the momentum to switch. Let's see what the Chargers do. Fourth and two. Okay, well, we'll go for it. Well, we turned it over. The momentum is still in the Raiders' favor. And analytics will tell you a whole lot. Analytics have a hard time explaining momentum and gut decisions that happen in a game and, and how that can outcome, like how that can affect the players on the sidelines. I just think that that's a, a mistake that he's going to have to learn to overcome. And until that happens, I don't really see them posing a huge threat in the division and in the AFC in general. Well, I, th I think that they're going to pose a threat in the AFC moving forward. The only thing I worry about with them is they have a lot of cap space. You know, Justin Herbert, he, he's a phenomenal quarterback. They've done a good job of building some offense around him. I assume they're going to spend resources. But, you know, that kind of decision, that's going to haunt them because eventually Justin Herbert's not going to be so cheap. You know, they're going to have decisions to make with him because at some point he's not making, you know, he's not going to make anywhere south of what Josh Allen or Dak Prescott are making. He's going to be making right up there with those guys. Then they're going to have a whole nother set of problems. They've essentially just wasted a season. They could have gotten to the playoffs and made some noise. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, they, well, and they've already thrown away. Cheap. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. Sorry. We're doing this over Zoom. So sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, I mean, they've already thrown away two of the most valuable years of anything possible in the NFL an elite rookie quarterback on a rookie deal, you know, and they've already thrown that away. Derwin James has to be getting close to free agency. Mike Williams is a free agent this year. And I mean, they do have a lot of cap space. And if I were them, I would go all in at the wide receiver position. You know, it's fourth down and 10 and they're targeting Josh Palmer, who I liked in the draft, but he shouldn't be getting like 12 targets in an NFL game. So yeah, they're, uh, they're they They will be scary. Definitely. But it, I mean, we, when you have Brandon Staley, doing what he's doing, you feel like he could take a team out of a game at any point too. Oh yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned it earlier, the, the quarterback situation at price wise, they're cheap at left tackle as well. They're, they're cheap at a lot of positions that are usually really high value or really high cap space positions. I, I just can't see them make like getting over that hump because not only are they in the division with the chiefs and they're going to be a tough out anytime we play them, but also the Raiders are kind of coming on. I, I, you said it early. I don't really like to credit to the Raiders organization either, but they're a tough out every time they play together. It's, it's one of those games that you look at and go, man, are the Raiders really that good? Or are the chargers really that bad? Like for whatever reason, that's just a tough, a tough matchup for both teams. And that four games a season is a lot of games to have to play that are, that are tough, that are tough mismatches, tough matchups. And that's that's not even counting any of the other games that they might play. So 
I guess I could see them spending and spending big in free agency and, and kind of playing with that. But as long as Brandon Staley is at the helm and he, he is being as irrational as he is with those fourth down calls, it's tough to win when even your coach is playing against you. Ask the Cowboys. They, they should be the one seed. They, they should have won way more games than they have this year. Mike McCarthy has made it very hard on them. Very hard. Yeah. And one more thing, just back to Brandon Staley. They, I will give him credit because when they, they beat the Chiefs early in the season, they did run some big-time fourth-down plays to beat the Chiefs because at that point in time, you know, the thought was to beat the Chiefs, you have to do something bold that nobody else does. That win against the Chiefs kind of – I think he used that to kind of propel the idea that this is who we are. We're going to be bold and do things that nobody else does. But when you run it on fourth, you run so many fourth down plays, you don't have that specific play. The Chiefs have a couple of specific plays. They say for third and short, fourth and short, fourth down, third down situations. As much as the Chargers go for it, it becomes a little more predictable to kind of think about what they're going to run, you know, if that makes any sense at all. So, you know, I think it helped them early on, and it probably did help them win some games. But backed up like that, that is just a sin to any sort of traditional sin or situational football at all to go for it backed up like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, just to close the book on Chargers, Staley decisions and all that, one, one thing, too, is that, you know, if you're so much of the analytical data in the last couple of years – has been compiled upon teams who didn't go for it on fourth down as much. And also, and, and I don't know the answer to this question, but I feel like a lot of this data is also compiled for teams who are down 20 points in the fourth quarter, just going for it for glory and for some sort of credibility moving forward, you know? So those, you know, I don't know that the situation is always calculated the same as fourth and, you know, fourth and two on your own, this and fighting for the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the number, you know, Ben Baldwin's bot might say to go for it there, but that situation is really different than other teams in other situations. Um, but, you know, if Brandon Staley converts that, we're probably saying a different, you know, talking a different story about how they were so gutsy and making it in the playoffs. I just, I just think if they're going to be that team that goes for it, they need something better at the offensive coordinator position. Joe Lombardi is pretty, pretty mediocre. He has one of the least creative schemes. And, you know, I think that they need to go in all, all in on the offense side of the ball you know Austin Eckler's good but they could definitely use another wide receiver Jared Cook not a particularly great tight end either so um but on on the other side of the ball I think it's hard for us as Chiefs fans and especially because it's the Raiders and we destroyed them twice this season but Derek Carr um I've, I've talked about all year him carrying this team to the playoffs it's tremendous leadership now there's been a lot of games they've kind of lucked into they played the Browns when they had a whole bunch of COVID problems on that weird like Wednesday night game or whatever. But I mean, Rich Versace has definitely got to get some uh, some credit as far as maybe getting that job moving forward or an NFL coaching job. And Derek Carr's earned a new deal. I, I mean, I mean that not in, not a comical like I hope he gets a deal type of Chiefs way. He, he's shown a lot this season. Oh yeah, I hundred percent agree. Derek Carr has always kind of been one of those quarterbacks that's fascinated me, not so much because I think he's elite, but because I think he's better than other people think that he is, if that makes any sense, other than Derek Carr, or other than his brother, David Carr, he, who apparently believes that he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. Now, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, but I will say that his ability to do more with less, I, I, I think he's a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. I think he's a better quarterback than uh, Baker Mayfield. I think he's up there sort of in not necessarily in, in arm talent or mobility or, or anything like that. But I think that he's in that Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan kind of league where he's a guy you can win with. He just has not look at the dysfunction that he's dealt with just this year alone to be able to deal with that and still make it into the playoffs is something. I mean, I'm not saying he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league by any means, but he is above average. I'll leave it at that. He's above average. In 2016, you know, he was in the MVP race at one point that season. That was a Raiders team 
that featured they had a good defense. You know, Khalil Mack was setting the world on fire as a pass rusher. They had, you know, solid receivers around him. They had a good offensive line. He almost, you know, he got hurt and that completely cost them their season. They would, you know, they went on to lose in the playoffs. That year they took the Chiefs down to the wire a couple of times. But yeah, you know, you hit it best. He's a guy, he does, he's done more with less than a lot of guys. And now they've got him another, a good tight end in Waller. They've got him a go-to wide receiver in a Hunter Renfro. You know, that, yeah, they're, they're a very poor defense. They'll probably get lit up by the Bengals this week. I would assume so. But it's going to be real interesting to see what the Raiders decide to do with the head coach and what he thinks of Derek Carr. Because I don't know. Part of me thinks the Raiders after this, just because to try to keep stability, they'll give him a long-term deal to make sure he finishes his entire career as a Raider. Another side of me sees him thinking, I, I want to get away from this dysfunction. I want to go to a team that has talent, that has something around it, you know, you know, maybe request, request a trade, try to go to a team that's a quarterback away, you know, maybe Washington or a team like that. Those are the two possible scenarios I think could be on the table here. You know, I don't really think the Raiders are going to make that much noise. I just think defensively, you know, we we know from firsthand experience, they're secondary. It's not it. They're getting ready to go play the Bengals. That probably won't be that entertaining of a contest. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I don't know, man. It's going to be – they've got some decisions to make, though, with Carr. Now, I could see him being on the move after this year, looking to go to greener grass and get away from all that. So, who knows? Speaking of decisions, let's come down – We'll, you know, we'll move on from this game, but this game just deserves so much airtime because it was just, it was thrilling in so many ways. The thing that made this game so interesting was the chance of a tie. And at first we all thought that was going to be a kneel down game and that they were just going to try to tie, but then it became a 15 point game and then became a situation where a tie was really possible. So we get down to the end of game situation and the, to me, and you guys tell me what you think to me, it looked like the first down play that the Raiders ran. It looked like the offensive line put in a half-hearted effort. It looked like they were really going for the tie, the Raiders. And they were kind of in no man's land with a field goal. It would have been a super long attempt. Carlson's very good kicker, but it would have been a pretty difficult attempt. Do you guys think that the that the Raiders were trying to tie the game? And do you think that Brandon Staley stopped them from trying to tie the game by calling that timeout to get his best personnel in the game, taking Kenneth Murray off the field, by the way, their first-round linebacker, and then they promptly gave up like a 12-yard rush. Well, I, I don't think that they were necessarily going for the tie. I, I know that the, it, it did sort of look that way towards the, towards the end of that overtime. But one thing that I noticed is Brandon's – I mean, how, how can you plan for a guy like Brandon Staley who is as, as an aggressive uh, – oh, my goodness. He's as an aggressive a coach as they come. Still messed that up, but he, he's super aggressive. And there was a scenario in my head where he went timeout, they stop him, timeout again, they have the ball back and they have a chance to score. And it, it didn't so much look as like it looked like that. It looked more like they didn't have the best personnel on the field. You mentioned it. They switched out Kenneth Murray for a sub linebacker, which I don't understand if you're trying to prevent the run, why you would do that. And of course, the, you know, the rest of his history, the Raiders ran and got a first down. I don't, I, I really can't say that they were going for it. I think that the Chargers were trying to get the ball back. I think the Raiders were, were trying to put themselves in a position to win. And even if they wanted to tie a first down right there would have made it so they could tie. Like you, maybe you throw a few more, you know, you, you give it a few more shots and then you kick the field goal or, or you punt it or kneel it. Um, but the, the issue is that, I just can't see the, the Raiders head coach doing that in that position. What about you, Caleb? Well, you know, it's it's one of those situations that they're going to talk about for years. To be honest, I, I've gone back and watched the end of it a couple of times. You really have no idea of knowing what's going on unless you're on the field. You know, we're, we're going to give our ideas. I kind of think the Raiders at that point, you know, they've been notorious for having some hilarious – you know, some some bad things happen in the middle of games. They make some mistakes. They're a mistake-prone team. I honestly think, and I've just, just then this is just me reading tweets of like former guys that used to play, like a, a couple of former Chiefs, uh, Mitchell Schwartz, Jeff Schwartz, 
and then a couple of more like line, old, old offensive linemen around the league, like Damian Woodley, and then even a couple of like old Chargers offensive linemen. They were tweeting, they go, man, the way that felt, the Raiders were just trying to run the ball and then take a knee and go into uh, just take the tie because, you know, the Raiders would have benefited more than any team from a tie there. And I don't know, you know, maybe maybe Staley was calling the defense to try to get what he thought was the best pe- personnel on the field. I don't really fault him that much for the timeout. I don't see that timeout as really what cost them the game by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he obviously knew his team has been terrible against the run all season. You know, Derek Carr, maybe he called. For all we know, Derek Carr got back to the huddle and he just called his own play and said, I think we can get 12 yards just running it up the gut on these guys. Who, who's not to say that didn't happen? But, you know, it's it's one of those games that people are just going to talk about and analyze, you know, and then like 20 years when Derek Carr's retired, we'll probably – he'll probably tell the story and we'll probably all figure it out unless it gets leaked out sometime before them. I could also see something like that happening. So, you know, it's just one of those things that's unfortunate for the Chargers – because you're so close just to getting in, you know, they, they stood the most to lose that game. They stood the most to lose. It was a game that they were, I think almost unanimously picked to win and they came out and they couldn't get it done. And, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of people in Pittsburgh wearing their Raiders jerseys yesterday. Well, you know, there was this, uh, there was this moment. It's that classic where the clock's burning down and they plan on taking a timeout at like three seconds or two seconds, but they have to let the clock burn. And Derek Carr was standing there next to the ref looking at him and the clock was ticking. And I was sitting there like I expected them to take a timeout and kick a field goal. Carlson was getting ready. They were in range. There was just a half a second there that I thought that he's not going to call a timeout and he'll just sit there and then the game will expire. It was just it was some of the most intriguing drama to watch, especially to watch like a fan base not root for a tie was something that's just so weird because, like, you know, the NFL doesn't really deal with ties that much. And, you know, you think about how statistically unlikely it is for a team to tie after, like, 65-plus minutes of football. And then for it to come down to that, those last couple of seconds, was uh, crazy. But you were talking, uh, Caleb, you were alluding a little bit to um, you think that the Raiders are going to go up and get stomped by the Bengals. Let's just kind of, uh, before we dig into Chiefs here at the back half of the podcast, Let's just kind of go through here and pick what we think is going to happen in each playoff game. Um, Just a quick, like, you know, one, two sentence synopsis of who you think this is going to go. So first game is going to be Saturday at 3.30 local time, and it's going to be Raiders at Bengals. I am going to go contrarian here. We're not going to go all chalk. I think the Bengals are getting a little oversold here. I think that they um, had, had a couple really good games, but I think that the... The Raiders could sneak up on them. I think that they're playing some really inspired football. I think that the Raiders pull the upset on the Bengals. Christian, what do you think? So I'm really happy that you said that because I think the exact same thing. You know, the Raiders and the Bengals played earlier in the season, and it was a tighter game than than people like to remember. I mean, the, the end score was 32-17, I believe. Um it was tight through three quarters up until that last quarter Bengals just took off and took advantage of, of kind of a, a, a worn out Raiders team. I think that the Raiders have the chops. They have the aggression. Now they, they have the mentality that they can go play the Bengals and, and beat Joe Burrow. And excuse me. I, I don't think that it's going to be a, a particularly close game. I think that the Raiders are going to come out and, and make a statement. So I'm going to say the only way I think the Raiders win the game is if Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby go absolutely berserk on their offensive line. But even, you know, in the Chiefs game, the Chiefs recorded four sacks of Joe Burrow and he still found a way to beat them. And I'll be honest, I don't think that I don't think that uh, the Raiders have a single player in their defensive secondary that's better than anyone the Chiefs have in their secondary right now. And man, the Raiders, they they were getting torched there at the end by Herbert. He was throwing balls into tight windows. You know, that's what Joe Burrow does. We've seen Patrick Mahomes come out here and light them up. The Raiders haven't done well against these high-powered offenses. And as bad as the Bengals' defense has looked at times this season, they do much better versus a traditional, traditional style of offense. And that's what they're going to see with the Raiders. You know, 
they've done a good job against uh, Cincinnati and or against Cleveland and Pittsburgh this year, who both run, you know, some pretty generic pro style offenses. I think that, you know, right now Burrow is in a groove with his guys. He's in a groove with, they don't just have Jamar Chase. The Raiders are also kind of struggled to stop the run all season long. And really, I think this is going to be a game where you see kind of Joe Mixon's impact on the Cincinnati team. He's a guy that doesn't get talked about a lot the last few weeks just because that passing attack has been so nice. But, you know, playoff game in Cincinnati in January, you're going to be fighting the elements up there. you got to be ready to pound the rock a little. All right. Next up on the schedule is the New England Patriots. Uh, Saturday night against the Bills. This game is in Buffalo. Um, this one is, you know, again, I like to try to be contrarian here. There's sometimes that you got to be bold. And I'm going to be bold and say that the Bills lay a beat down on the Patriots. I do not think that this will be close. I think that the if there's a team that scares me the most in the AFC, it's the Bills. They remind me a lot of kind of like the 2019 Chiefs that won the Super Bowl. Um, I, th- I think that this game is not close. I think that, you know, the weather is going to be a little bit of a factor, but I think that the Bills, one of the things that they realized from that game where the wind was really bad is that Josh Allen should have been throwing a lot earlier in that game instead of them trying to run like the play the Patriots game. They should have done the game that Josh Allen was drafted to do and throw the ball in the elements. I think this game gets ugly fast. I think um, we're going to bed early Saturday night because that game is going to be over. Yeah, and I don't know if that's much of a contrarian position, to be honest. I mean, Mac Jones is playing the worst football this year. Well, I guess of his whole NFL career later this season. I mean, the, the past couple of games for him have not gone well. And the Bills are as hot as they've been all season. And, and it's in Buffalo. To, to me, this is this is a no-brainer. I think the Bills beat the Patriots. I think Bill Belichick's a great coach. I think they got a great defense. They've got some good weapons. I don't think it's going to be enough. I got, I got Bills over Patriots. I'm going to take the Bills slightly over the Patriots. The only thing that makes me say slightly is Josh Allen has underperformed throughout some of his career playoff games. He hasn't really lived up to some of these expectations. You know, he's been a good quarterback in the regular season. You know, this season also, you know, we've seen him even transform back more into looking like Cam Newton than Patrick Mahomes at times. I just think that they have too many weapons for them to be able to lose to the Patriots right now. Even if Bill Belichick does come out with a great game plan, I think they find a way to get Stephon Diggs, you know, really rolling downfield for some big plays. All right. Next on Super Wild Card Weekend is Eagles versus Buccaneers. This game, you know, if the Eagles were going up against any other team, I might like them for the upset because they're kind of salty. They remind me a little bit of the Ravens and how much they run the ball. And they, they're just a different style. But I'm not sure there's a worse matchup in the league for them than the Bucs, who are just a team that refuses to give up anything in the in the run. Vita Vey is a great run defender. Jason Pierre-Paul, Nadamakasu. This is strength on strength. Tom Brady will destroy that defense, which runs a very bland scheme. Don't really blitz a lot, just a lot of coverage. Um, yeah, this one's, I mean, this one might be other than the Sunday night game, this might be the biggest lock of the, of the weekend. It's uh, definitely going to be Tom Brady over the Eagles. Yeah. It, you know what? It might, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you here. I do think the Bucks beat the Eagles, but it, it could be closer than a lot of people think. Uh, the Bucks are missing a lot of their weapons. Um, I, I didn't really see if Leonard Fournette will be playing in this game, but that might be something that, that might change the outlook as well. The Eagles have been pretty good as of late. Now, Tom Brady, when he gets in the playoffs, we all know we've seen it firsthand hand as Chiefs fans. He can flip a switch. And when he flips that switch in the postseason, it's, it's hard to get him out of his zone. It's hard to get his team um, out of the playoffs. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Bucs here, Brady and the Bucs. Maybe a one-two touchdown game. I'm going to take Tampa Bay also. Uh, the Eagles have had a nice season. They've made strides. I don't think they've beaten a playoff team this entire season. They've taken advantage of, you know, the Giants, some other bad teams on their schedule to get in and, you know, really headed in. Yeah, Tampa Bay, they've got injuries to their weapons, but their offensive line is all healthy. They're one of the best run-stuffing defenses in the NFL. And Philadelphia, you know, they've seen most 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 of their success has been 
from pounding the rock. And, you know, you, you don't bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs. So I'm going to go with the, yeah, probably the Buccaneers by a couple of touchdowns. And this game, this is actually probably the game I'm the most excited for on the slate, other than the hometown team. At um, 3.30 is going to be 49ers versus Cowboys. This game is in Dallas. I love this game. This game features two teams that I think match up with each other really well. You've got dynamic playmakers. You've got C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott. You've got Amari Cooper on one side of the ball. Michael Parsons is the most entertaining defensive player in the league. On the other side of the ball, you've got George Kittle. You've got Devo Samuel, who is the best all-purpose player in the NFL. This game, this game feels like it is going to be dramatic no matter what. And this one, honestly, I don't know who to pick. Um, you know, I if you told me that Micah Parsons just came out and wrecked havoc on Jimmy Garoppolo, who doesn't do well under pressure, he throws the picks. Trayvon Diggs is probably going to get his hand on something, and the Cowboys win big. I wouldn't be shocked, and I also would not be shocked if the Cowboys came out there and laid an egg, because that's what they've done for a long time. Dak really has not been the same since that calf injury. Um, And the offense just hasn't quite performed to what it was expected, especially now that Michael Gallup is out. Um, So for this one, I'm going to, I'm going to take a slight lean to the 49ers. I think, uh, I think that they've really kind of turned the tide here lately. I think that they play a brand of football that might be challenging for the Cowboys defensively. Um, the Cowboys have some defensive playmakers, but I'm not necessarily sure that they're a great defensive unit. And also, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a couple of Trey Lance series in there that maybe Kyle Shanahan's been putting down the back burner. They come out, kind of run some more like a Lamar Jackson, Colin Kaepernick style offense with his running and really kind of throw a curveball at the Cowboys. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to take the 49ers in the upset. Yeah. And. In games like this, these these really tight games where you don't know who's going to win, a lot of people will tell you to bet on the quarterback. And, and if you're going to lean towards either quarterback, I think you have to lean towards Dak in this situation. I know he hasn't been playing up to scratch lately, but he is one of those guys where the upside is super high for him. And and with that stable of wide receivers, dude, it's it's a track meet. They'll they'll beat you fast. They'll beat you technically. I just, to me, I, if, if I have to lean one team or the other, if I have to pick one, it's gotta be the Cowboys. They were, they were my favorites in the NFC least coming into this year. I'm going to stick with them. Cowboys coming in. I'm going to go with the 49ers. I'm going to take them because I think just from a standpoint of in the trenches, and I think that's going to play a big factor in this game. I like the 49ers. Micah Parsons, he's seen a lot. He's been through the gambit of an NFL season. He's going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. He hasn't seen someone like Trent Williams yet, though. Trent Williams, he walks around a little different. He's a little special than some of the other left tackles he's going to see. So that could be a must-watch must matchup. And on the other side, the Cowboys' offensive line, they've been good in the past. They've really struggled. This past week, you know, I saw, I saw the 49ers' front seven, who I think is one of the best front sevens in the league, I think they're going to do a good job of getting after Dak. Dak hasn't performed very well under, you know, under pressure. Teams have played a lot of zone to take away the weapons. I just think the 49ers, they're going to be playing with not a ton to lose here. I think they're going to be loose. I think they're going to try to blitz him and get a lot of pressure on Dak. And then the other side of the ball, it's going to be the Debo Samuel show. I think that even though Trevon Diggs has been an outstanding at intercepting the football this year, he's been a turnover machine. He's shown some deficiencies in his game when it comes to stay, staying disciplined and coverage. I think they probably use Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel to expose that a little bit. All right. And we are going to wait to pick the Chiefs Steelers game until the end when we break that down. That's what we call a tease in the business, in the industry. Uh, so we're going to go to Monday night playoff football. And it's another NFC West matchup here. We've got the Cardinals at the Rams. This game, man, here's the thing. I would love to pick against the Rams. I think that they are pretty overvalued at this point. I think Matt Stafford is really regressing hard. I think that Sean McVay was better with Jared Goff. No, no, wait, right there. I say Sean McVay is better with Jared Goff because Sean McVay felt he had to do more to get Jared Goff going. I feel like he's kind of pulled back the reins a little bit with, uh, Matt Stafford and he's not being as creative and Matt Stafford regressing a little bit. We saw how the game went. Um, the game of the week last week went with the, um, with the 49ers and 
I, I just can't do it with the Cardinals. I, the Cardinals have not been playing well. They've lost four or five. Um, you know, the, I've not heard anything about DeAndre Hopkins coming back. It's hard because you've got two two teams that I think are regressing, but I think that the Cardinals are just regressing harder. I just don't see a way that they go in and beat the uh, the Rams. They're just too strong in too many places. You know, I think that it, I also think this game could get dragged down in the mud a little bit. I could see this being a 22-21 win for the Rams. But ultimately, I'm going to pick L.A. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the way I'm going to go as well. You look at both sides of the football. Let's just say that the Cardinals have DeAndre Hopkins back. And like I said, I or like you said, I haven't seen anything about that. I still think the Rams, even with Matt Stafford regressing and, and with that uh, injury, Robert Woods, I still think they're a better offense. I, th- I think they can win in multiple ways. I don't see the same thing with the Cardinals that I saw earlier in this year. And, and if we're going to break it all the way down just to coaches, who, who am I going to bet on coaching-wise? It sure as hell isn't going to be Cliff Kingsbury. Sean McVay, for all of his flaws, I think still is, is a much better late season slash postseason coach than Cliff Kingsbury ever has been. And, and I don't think that this game is is going to waver from that. I think that the Rams probably win by uh, at least 12 points. And I, I don't know. I, it's just not to me. That's that's not a game I'm going to watch. I, I just can't bring myself to see two teams who are on a steep decline, it, it seems, matchup in a game that will kind of read like college football. So Rams over Cardinals. I'm going to take the Rams also in this one. In this game, you know, ESPN's going to hype it up. Uh, they're going to hype it up. Kyler versus Matt Stafford, you know, the guys for the Cardinals, you know, Cooper Cup. This game could, you know, I think Price kind of alluded to this. This could turn into a defensive stalemate because if you look at both of these sides, they've kind of shown some weaknesses along their offensive line and in their running game a little bit. Well, Aaron Donald is a guy that is an absolute game wrecker. And we've seen him. He went up, you know, and they went up to Seattle last year and the Rams won an ugly football game in the playoffs in Seattle because Aaron Donald had himself an absolute day. I like the Rams just because I think their defense is better. I think they've got a better secondary. I think that Donald makes that impact in there. You know, Arizona, they've got Chandler Jones opposite. He's kind of, you know, he's starting to show his age a little bit as an edge rusher for them. You know, J.J. Watt's coming back. We've seen that before. We've heard all that noise in the past. I'm going to go with the Rams, though, probably in like a low-scoring tight ball game. All right. And we saved the best for last. It is Chiefs versus Steelers. Um, You know, I, I think that while the Chiefs did not get the bye, we were all honorary Texan fans this week. You know, they got about as close of a thing to it as they could in the Steelers. Um, you know, we're certainly excited, especially after the first game went. But I want to play a little game with you guys. Here, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about how do the Chiefs win? What are the keys to victory? Those type of things. Uh, we're going to fast forward in a very dark, bleak world. Next Monday, we're all talking about how the Chiefs lost to the Steelers. How does that happen? How did the Chiefs lose to the Steelers? What has to go wrong for Kansas City to lose to the Steelers? What do you think, Caleb? Um, I think what would go wrong is if we see T.J. Watt perform at an elite level versus Andrew Wiley, even though Wiley did well against him the first time. I think that pressure would kind of open some things up for maybe Minka Fitzpatrick to try to look to just gamble for a pick here or there. And I think some, you know, if the Chiefs turn it over, you know, we've seen this year they've been prone to do that from time to time. That could have an impact. And then really something I've been worrying about, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about lately, but, you know, as the Chiefs corners, they've seen some struggles here the last couple of weeks. If the Steelers get into a situation where they know they're just playing with the house money, you know, it's Big Ben's last run. Are they just going to throw jump balls, 50-50 balls to like, Claypool and Washington and just or not Washington Johnson and just see if they can go up and pull them in I mean that could and lead to some struggles also so I think they'd have to hit on big plays and the Chiefs would have to turn the ball over quite a bit yeah, I 100% agree with you on TJ Watt he, he's going to be in kind of a match uh, a mismatch uh, coming in with Andrew Wiley who I'm assuming is going to be the starter um that, that's going to be a tough matchup for him. And I know he did very, very well the first time. And I'd like to hear maybe some of your uh, your opinion on that matchup, Caleb. But another person that I think has to do really, really well in this game for the Steelers to win 
is Najee Harris. He, he's one of those guys that can come in and change games. We saw it while he was in college. We've seen it sometimes during this year. If he goes off and, and he keeps Patrick Mahomes off the field, and let, let's just say that Najee Harris gets going early and he gets going often, and they don't have to use Big Ben as much as Big Ben probably wants to play this, this game, I could see them keeping Mahomes on the sidelines, doing sort of a Tennessee thing, and, and keeping the Chiefs low, keeping the, keeping the score low on the Chiefs sideline or on the Chiefs side of things and, and controlling the, the time of possession of this game. So those are the two players I would see. Yeah, for me, the way that the Chiefs lose this, I, I loved what Caleb had to say. You know, this, this, there is something that kind of stinks in the Chiefs secondary of lately. Um, and if you were to ask me, you know, what position do I think that the Steelers are actually better than the Chiefs at? I would say wide receiver. Deontay Johnson and Terry Kill. Um, I think Tyreek's probably better than Deontay Johnson, but not, not that far apart. And then the rest of that wide receiver core, without Juju included, is, is better than what the Chiefs have. And, you know, I, I think that the way that this game happens is, first off, the Chiefs are going to have to turn the ball over. Um, you know, it's going to be like early season Chiefs where they lose – you know, two or three turnovers, give me a CH fumble, uh, interception off McCole Hardman's hands, and then something else stupid on special teams. Negative three in the turnover margin. Big Ben throws up a big, a bunch of, uh, you know, mercy balls that get dragged in. And then, you know, the Chiefs offense sputters a little bit. You know, whenever the Chiefs turn the ball over, if they don't produce at a super high rate, this game, you know, ends up being like a 26-24 game. That's how I see it happening. And then, you know, whenever the Chiefs have to have a stop on defense, they're not, they, you know, they've shown some weakness in the run. Again, you know, we saw that in the Broncos game. They won't be able to stop Najee Harris. Now, the Steelers' offensive line sucks, and it's one of the worst in the league, and Najee Harris has done his best to overcome it. Good fantasy player. Probably one of the things that makes me the most nervous about this game, and when I say nervous, we're talking on a very low scale for the Steelers is Spags loves to get pressure. That is, that is his thing. He loves to dial up the blitz. And that's one of the things that I like about Spags versus Bob Sutton is Bob Sutton. You, you bled to death with no tourniquet. You just sit there and you watched him do the same stuff over and over again. No stunts, no twists, no blitz. It, it was just a slow, painful death. That's how it felt in the AFC championship with Tom Brady, but at least Spags, you know, it's like the Jamar chase, the third and 23 or whatever, where they, you know, they send an all-out blitz. At least they're trying to make something happen. Spags, I could see, you know, no matter what, trying to dial up a blitz against Ben Roethlisberger. Ben is the quickest quarterback to throw the ball in the NFL and has been for the last couple of seasons. He, he does not hold on to the ball long, which is good because it usually means that they're not throwing the ball down the field, pushing it down the field. But this is one of those games that the Chiefs have to be okay without getting a big pass rush. This is one of those games that it's about gap integrity, staying sound for the run, the play action. And, I mean, if you get a sack, that's great because Big Ben's not very mobile. But they need to be okay with not sending a bunch of blitzes. Drop those guys back in coverage and make sure, like we talked about, that Deontay Johnson doesn't take one to the house on a, on a broken play. To make sure that Dan Sorton doesn't kill you in coverage. You know, I, I, I mean, to me, that, that's the thing that I, I just want to make sure that's the one way that other than turnovers, which, you know, turnovers can make anything happen. We saw what that did in the Colts Jaguars game. But other than that, that's that's, a, you know, really kind of the only way I see this going down. Yeah, I mean, turnovers would be would be a major issue. I think that would also have to do with uh, like if the Chiefs were to lose, that would have to play a, a major role as well. Man, and I, mean, I just I, think that the go I think ahead, that the defense is. You know, I, I'm not going to take too much away from the Broncos game. I felt like, even for me as a fan of the team, I felt weird sitting down to watch that Saturday afternoon game. It almost kind of felt like a preseason game. And I, I tweeted that out. And, of course, people were quick to remind me that Patrick Mahomes played all four quarters in this game, which I had no idea until they let me know. So I do appreciate that, guys. Um, but it just felt like a preseason game. The timing was weird. The Chiefs were kind of resting several players. They were very careful. The Broncos were kind of playing for nothing. It was, it was just a weird game. And, you know, the defense ultimately won that game. And, you know, Melvin, In Melvin Ingram and Nick Bolton had the play of the game. And I – pause real quick, though. 
when Melvin Ingram and Nick Bolton are on the field, first off, they're, they're similar in stature, right? Like they're both like linebacker, um, defensive linemen. So they're similar in stature. They both have dreads and they both have a four for their secondary number. And a lot of times their dreads will cover up their front number. When those two guys are on the field together, I, I literally have no clue. Like I, like if I see that, I'm like, oh, it's either Melvin Ingram or Nick Bolton. Like if you told me that Melvin Ingram ran the ball back and Nick Bolton caused the fumble, I would 100% believe it. But that's just a side note. But I mean, the Chiefs defense, I, I, I expect more from them. Defense is one of those things that they kind of just play more emotional. And the Chiefs do tend to have a little bit extra gear when they need to in the playoffs. So um, I, I expect them to come ready. But the, the Broncos game does bring some reason for concerns. You know, the thing with me for this game, though, is, you know, McCole Hardman had over 100 yards receiving. And I'm not saying that to try to hype up McCole Hardman because in the past I've been the leader of the McCole Hardman hype train. I'm saying that because the Chiefs were literally putting things on film that they have not shown at any point. So I think it is valid to say this was kind of a preseason game for the Chiefs. And that's also valid because if you take a look at the way they are running their plays on offense, they didn't have a bunch of motions all over the place like they normally do. They weren't lining guys up in different positions. They were playing, they were playing literally, that was one of the most simple game plans. Andy's drawn up all season outside of that stuff. But if you're another team looking in at it, now you have a whole different layer of stuff you have to dissect through. You know, you've got to be able to be ready for Hill and Kelsey at all times. But now you've got to dissect for Daryl Williams out of the backfield on third down. You got to maybe be ready for the occasional. McCole Hardman screen pass to whenever you catch them, you know, kind of playing a little bit of man-to-man defense on one side of the field. It's going to, you know, that's kind of why I think it was a preseason game. I think that Kelsey and Tyreek, yeah, they might have some things that are banged up, but Andy Reid's not dumb, okay? He knows what he's doing. They don't have a bye week, but we've seen stuff like this early on in Andy's career when the Chiefs didn't have buys. You see Jamal Charles come in, run the ball one time, and then Andy's sitting him for the rest of the game. You go out there and, you know, Alex Smith would hand the ball off. This is what that kind of felt like to me just a little bit, even though, you know, that you did see them go to guys, probably so the guys can get some stats and some incentives. I know the defense was on the field for most of the game. Spags didn't show anything. He hasn't not put on film all season. They didn't really do anything too exotic. They blitzed, but it's the same zero blitz. You know, every team in, a, you know, every team in the NFL at this point has seen the Chiefs run a zero blitz on film at some point. So. I'm, I'm not overly concerned about it. I think it was a very vanilla game plan. The players aren't stupid also, though. They know in the long run that game really didn't mean a whole lot for down the stretch. So, you know, they'll probably be getting ready to turn it on a little bit, maybe a notch higher against the Steelers. Yeah, and one, one thing that I noticed in that game as well was it. I don't want to say a lack of effort, but maybe more of an opportunistic effort from the defensive line. There were some times – I mean, when Melvin Ingram, he just was unblocked on that play where he strip-sacked Drew Locke and and Nick Bolton picked it up. It wasn't like he beat four guys, you know, coming around the edge. Chris Jones had some pressure, uh, but then again, he didn't really play a whole lot of the snaps anyway. I know he usually sticks around 60%. I think he was about there, but those, those reps didn't look the same. And I think that, you know, getting that rest in look at Tyreek Hill he didn't play for half the game and you know it was because of a foot injury but still having that rest for those guys and and not giving a hundred percent even though I know they were trying to win that game I think it helps them out coming into this game I think that you know that that maybe going about 90 percent speed instead of a hundred percent it kind of helps you fill up the gas tank for for this uh divisional round and Dude, I, or wild card round, I cannot wait to see what they do when that offense has flipped to the switch and it's not vanilla. When that defensive line is is at 100% and chasing after Big Ben. Like, it's going to be a game to watch for sure. Yeah, I think um, one, of, one other thing to pay attention to is that the Chiefs, you know, beat the Steelers by like 20 points or maybe even wider margin when they played a couple weeks ago. And that was Tyreek Hill played like 20% of the snaps because he had just come off the COVID list and was dealing with side effect. And then Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey did not play at all. Um, 
which, you know, you hope that this game gets blown open easy and quick. Obviously, Tyreek's Hill heel, you know, say that five times fast, has been hurting. And then Travis Kelsey has had that hip issue as well. That looked like it was bothering him. Hopefully, I mean, maybe this is a game that the Chiefs can just win with Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, and McCole Hardman, which is kind of crazy to think about because, you know, Mahomes just has so much help and he has the best weapons in the league and no one has anything compared to him. At least that's what I'm told. But, I mean, Patrick Mahomes could absolutely win this playoff game with just those guys because the defense for the Steelers is not strong. So hopefully, you know, they'll be able to reproduce that and just dink and dunk their way down the field, which they've gotten much better at. Um, The Steelers are the worst run defense in the league, which is shocking to think about when you think about TJ Watt and Cam Hayward, two great defensive linemen for their front. Um, You know, is this a game that they get Clyde Edwards-Alaire going? Uh, You know, we're worried about Daryl Williams' toe. Jarek McKinnon showing some stuff. Derek Derek Gore. I, I feel pretty good about where the Chiefs running attack is no matter who is lining up in the backfield. Yeah, it's one of those things at this point that we don't really have to worry a whole lot about. And Clyde, don't get me wrong, he has been better than the other running backs there, but it's not an insane drop-off of talent. Daryl Williams has proven to be very, very valuable in the, the receiving game. And, you know, Gore has even shown flashes. Jarek McKinnon just made the play of his life in Kansas City, you know, uh, last week. So there are a lot of guys that can come in, give you – fairly good production out of the backfield so you know we we should be okay on that front as well so definitely I look forward to seeing those running backs matching up against that defensive line yeah and the Chiefs offensive line they've they've gotten they've gotten so much better from week one to where to where they're at now they were already good week one but now you're just seeing they finally got to that point where it's just almost instant chemistry their combo blocks they're all on point at the same time they're doing good in the zone game. They're able to know when to stay on their block and to get up. I don't think we see Clyde this week. I think just knowing the Chiefs, I think that they're going to be hyper-cautious about it. They always are when it comes to injuries. I think that you know they're in a good space right now, even with the backup running backs, where I think they're going to let Clyde sit out another week. The thing I'll say about Jarek McKinnon, though, is he has missed a little bit of time with an injury. He's got fresh legs right now, man. You know, Daryl Williams, He's a thousand yard, you know, he's got a thousand all purpose yards this season. You know, that's the most he's ever played since he was at LSU. Not, you know, no telling how his body's feeling right now. Gore is fine in some small doses. He still has some issues. Jared McKinnon's a veteran guy. He's been around a couple of teams in the NFL, used to have electric speed, you know, to hit the hole and then to go score. It's just injuries have hurt his career, but he still has that shiftiness in the vision like you saw in that touchdown pass that he scored. He could be an interesting player to watch down the line, I think, just because he is a little more more fresh. And, you know, the playoffs are, you know, as we've seen in the past years, is a little mini three- to four-game season, you know, so there's no holding back at this point. If you've got a guy and you think he's he's got a lot of juice left and you think you can get him in space to score, then they might as well try it. Absolutely. Well, I think we've kind of broken down this game pretty well. Let's give our, our a score prediction since it's the hometown team. Um, I am going to take the Chiefs. Mm, let's see. It's kind of like, can I make a score agami out of this? I'm going to take the Chiefs 42-13. I think that this game gets out of hand. I think that there's some defensive scores here. I think that the Chiefs pull away pretty easy. Hopefully Big Ben's turning the ball over. And we can kind of all agree that his career is over and send him home to a happy retirement. So I like the Chiefs big. So, you know, as much as I'd love to, to go with you on that, the Chiefs are never ones to just run away with a football game, no matter what the matchup is. I can't see Andy Reid going out and embarrassing a team, especially one with, you know, historically great quarterback on it. I could see him putting up a lot of points early. I'd probably say 35-27 is, is going to be my final score with the Chiefs winning. I just think that the the Steelers are going to get some, you know, last-second points there that that put them, make it seem like it was a closer game than it actually was, when in reality the Chiefs came out, scored 20-plus points in the first half, and then coasted. So, I'm, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I'm going to go Chiefs 40. I'm going to take uh, the Steelers with 10. I really think, you know, the Steelers – 
it's a weird situation for a lot of their guys because, yeah, it's Big Ben's last go-around, but they've also got some guys who've probably a little bit checked out. They're not looking forward to going to Kansas City and having to play this game because there just doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope on that end, even though Mike Tomlin is a good coach. But I think the Chiefs come out. I think they're going to be fired up. Melvin Ingram, specifically the Chiefs defensive line, dominated the Steelers the first time. I don't see much difference to stop that. So I think it's going to be an ugly one. Well, he's done nothing. That's uh, that's pretty much what he's done. That's City. what the box scores say. Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, what the big uh, Pittsburgh writer told us. That he's, he's done nothing. Meanwhile, he's literally winning a game for the Chiefs. But, oh, well, we'll let the box score analysis do that. And speaking of analysis, Caleb, we appreciate you being up on the podcast. Truman State's finest joined us. Um, as he described himself, a washed-up film analysis. You can follow him on Twitter at CJ Scoobs, which is a great username. I love CJ Scoobs. Um, but, yeah, follow Caleb for his film breakdowns on Twitter watch the coach's corner on YouTube and uh, you know, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, Christian, thanks for joining us as well. Oh yeah, no problem. Always fun to hop on here, man. Yeah. uh, You can follow me at price a Carter on Twitter, Christian, where can we find you at? Uh, On Twitter as well. C breezy underscore edits. Awesome. Well, enjoy your super wildcard weekend and we will be back to talk about the Chiefs playing in the divisional, right? Absolutely. 100%. Right. No chance right. they lose, right? Yeah, abs- <laughs> don't, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Not Just Another Sports Podcast.